I'm Adam Simmons, and today we are happy to speak with Dan Brophy from Compella Space. Dan, can you give us a little introduction to yourself and the company? Sure, Adam. Yeah, I'm Dan Brophy. I handle U.S. government services at Capella. I'm a 30-year veteran in the aerospace industry, worked for uh, large primes, and now I'm working for a new space startup based in San Francisco, California. Uh, who is Capella Space, and uh, what are you all striving to do? Yeah, Capella Space is a space data service company providing the most frequent and timely images of the Earth. And we use radar instead of cameras so we can see in all lighting and weather conditions. Okay. Uh, so the vision of the company is to be a radar provider. So what kind of resolution can we be expecting uh, from, from the satellite constellation? Well, we're getting ready to launch our first operational satellite, we dubbed Sequoia, that'll go up on a Falcon 9 at the end of March, and uh, we expect a resolution uh, better than a half meter. Our license with NOAA only allows us to sell half meter resolution, but to ensure we have a crisp uh, SAR image, uh, we're designing the system uh, to uh, provide like 0.4 resolution uh, to ensure we get that 0.5 meter uh, capability. And that'll be a big deal because uh, a lot of the other SAR providers out there right now, especially the European providers, uh, don't really provide anything below, you would say, one meter, right? That's correct, uh, Adam. And the other unique uh, capability that Capella is bringing to the market is high persistence. So we're developing a constellation of 36 SAR small sats to provide uh, one hour max, 20 minute average revisit time at any any place on the globe. So not only a high quality image, but uh, high frequency as well. And that's your business model. It's not a just, once again, not about high resolution. It's, it's also about uh, quick delivery of those systems with uh, uh, a unique architecture, correct? Right. So there's several pain points out there today uh, with customers. In addition to the, you know, electro optical can't see through night or can't see through clouds. We we address that. But then uh, the other concern is they they don't get frequent enough coverage to to monitor like patterns of life and and really be able to open up applications for commerce and conservation and people's well-being, uh, you know, think of disaster relief, things like that. They need a more consistent, regular, uh, you know, cadence in terms of the imagery so uh, they can really put that data to use. And now to take care of other pain points, such as low tasking priority, low or slow tasking priority, and um, uh, data delivery, we also have implemented some new innovative technologies to help with that such as a geo-relay, so we can task our payload from a geo-relay in near real time. And then we downlink to Amazon Ground as a Service. They have 12 locations around the globe uh, uh, at all of their data centers. And we'll downlink data directly from the satellite to Amazon Cloud. And that goes along with your, uh, so one of the press releases you had a few months ago goes along with the uh, uh, new relationship with Inmarsat, correct? And, and yeah, exactly. Uh, they are our relay relay provider. So uh, we send uh, command signals up through Inmarsat, and it relays it down to any one of our thirty six uh, SAR satellites. 
uh, it's a very efficient uh, approach to tasking the payload and uh, cuts down the time uh, that typically takes uh, where you have to wait for a satellite to fly over a particular ground uplink station to send tasking commands. So uh, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. You have some slides that talk along these, uh, these topics, correct? Yeah, let's show everybody what a SAR image looks like. Uh, and, and here's just an example of the kind of uh, imagery we'll be collecting. I, I, should, I should add that these are taken using our, our SAR payload. However, uh, we demonstrated the payload on an airborne platform as a precursor to our space mission that's coming up just to check out the uh, hardware and make sure it's all functioning as uh, we planned and, and indeed it is. So uh, up in the uh, left corner is just the automated uh, Capella Council. Uh, we're going to have a very user-friendly interface using uh, application programming interface. Anyone who has access uh, to the internet will be able to task, send in a task and retrieve data. And the kind of data we'll be providing will be high resolution images, uh, object detection, change detection, a uh, whole myriad of uh, applications uh, that will come in the form of advanced data products and analytics. Excellent. And uh, once again, the, being on the aerial platform here, these images represent also the resolution you're hoping to achieve too, right? Yeah, that's one of that's part of the magic of SAR. We can uh, easily simulate what it will look like from space by just adding the noise in. Uh, you know, we're sending a uh, radio signal beam down to the earth that reflects and comes back. And uh, we're able to simulate uh, with, with very high precision what the images will look like. So these have been uh, uh, adjusted to replicate uh, what it'll look like from our satellite that'll fly at 500 kilometers LEO, even though they are collected from an airborne campaign. Excellent. Uh, so, and I know you touched on this earlier. So the next slide we have here is why SAR? So you talk about some of the capabilities of SAR over EO, but uh, what, what, what directly inspired uh, somebody like Capel to stand up and focus on SAR? Yeah, well, at any time, the, the Earth is uh, covered in darkness or in clouds. So with the electro-optical systems, they're very limited to really only about a quarter of the Earth at any time that's accessible from a electro-optical uh, system. And with SAR, we don't have that limitation. And then the reason for the persistence is, you know, if you only have a few satellites uh, flying, you get very limited uh, access in terms of the timeliness of when you'll revisit that same site. So by adding, by building a constellation of satellites, we're going to be able to see anytime, anywhere, and uh, do it on a very regular, high cadence basis, which opens up all sorts of new markets for uh, satellite imagery. Now, now it's fascinating, and I think uh, you know on the side you mentioned this to me before, but your constellation is going to have the capability to shoot SAR imagery at night too, right? That's correct. Uh, it's not limited by uh, lighting conditions or weather conditions. So uh, those images that I we just showed could be taken at night, and they'd look just the same as what they look like uh, in the daytime. But but aside from the 
but that that SAR imagery is capable of doing that, you you actually intend to do that with your constellation, uh, even from some uh, in some limited fashion, right? Absolutely, yeah. We'll be um, uh, launching uh, twelve orbital rings with three satellites each. So that's how we get to thirty-six with the twelve orbital planes, three in each satellite or three in each ring. Uh, that will uh, give us global, uh, you know, collection capability anywhere on the world. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I'm just trying to express that 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 nighttime capability on top of your high cadence is. Uh, is also a unique differentiator there. You don't see too many of the image providers do that right now. So if anybody that's actually right. trying to think who does a nighttime collection. So yep. that's why that chart I think is so powerful. It shows, you know, at any time, you know, half the earth is, is in the dark and then, you know, uh, there's always cloud coverage too. That's limiting uh, the, the ability of uh, typical electro-optical collection systems. So the next slide here it actually talks about the constellation itself. So you yeah, just like you that's a good lead in, and what I, I think another thing that's important to point out is uh, that we are a X band system. So it's a three centimeter wavelength. It's very. Um, it allows us to do high resolution, so we can really detect fine details. Uh, it has good re reflectivity. And uh, that's why we picked the X-band. So the resolution we talked about, uh, you know, we're targeting for 0.4 meters. And, uh, you know, in terms of the time from order to delivery, uh, you know, 20 minutes would be like the theoretical maximum. But uh, with that low number, we're able to uh, offer customers with high confidence, you know, getting imagery in their hands within two hours. That's incredible, and uh, and of course you said with a polar orbit, it sounds like you are going to do uh, you're capable of doing significant amounts of not just polar ice cap monitoring type of thing, uh, but but also maritime observation as well. Oh, maritime, and you know, just think about some of the um, natural disasters that are going on, like the forest fires in Australia. Well, there's a lot of smoke and cloud you know, cloud coverage issues there we'll still be able to detect uh, hot spots. And the one thing we haven't brought up is uh, the other benefit of SAR is you get phase and amplitude history. So that uh, allows you to extract a lot more information than just electro-optical picture, such as um, you know, uh, properties, um, like uh, material properties, moisture level, uh, very fine changes in movements, all that can get detected with SAR. And it's it's not not available with electro optical systems. Roger that. So to clarify, you know, aside from hot spots, because I don't imagine the SAR sensor will be able to pick up the fires directly, <laughs> but the change detection of the actual uh, structures or infrastructure uh, changes that happen uh, because of the wildfires, you'll be able to see that very much very clearly and cut right through the smoke to to see that activity, right? Exactly. And think of like Puerto Rico where they're having, uh, you know, earthquakes. We'll be able to identify which structures, you know, are, are the most damaged and, and how first responders can prioritize which areas to go to first, you know, very quickly. Where right now there's a lot of guesswork and, and chaos whenever there's a natural disaster. We'll be able to provide a lot of useful information, uh, whether it's a hurricane or fire or 
uh, or earthquake, we'll be able to uh, you know, identify where to send uh, first responders so uh, they can help uh, save lives and, and help save uh, you know, structures and homes. Well, you may make an interesting point about the earthquake. Aside from the structures, uh, you know, SAR can be used to monitor massive changes on scale for the entire terrain, right? So you can see displacement of the entire area because of those earthquakes. Uh, right, right. And, and for conservation, too. Yeah, you can detect uh, uh, shifts and movements in the shorelines. And uh, again, you can detect uh, moisture levels. So you know, there's so much you can do. You got to really think of SAR as more of a signature, although you know, everybody thinks about the images, but it's really a, an RF signature that you can start building a database. Uh, when you label the, the SAR data, you can then detect very quickly, you know, what it is you're looking at and uh, then, then take action. Absolutely. Uh, in this final slide here, you talk about, go back on to the real-time tasking rapid delivery here. And this is just a workflow chart of all that working, uh, at, you know, that, that process, correct? Yeah, it's so important. Uh, today, a lot of people complain that, um, you know, it's very cumbersome to, to order space imagery. And then they oftentimes get it so late that, uh, you know, the real need for it has is, is gone away. So hearing that, we've responded uh, by applying the best technologies available. A lot of that uh, resides in cloud computing, you know, with uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning. And the cloud does both processing and storage. And we put everything into the cloud. Uh, we even put our spacecraft operations or cloud-based. Customers can uh, put in a request uh, through any laptop terminal that have you know the right accesses and privileges to Capella's uh, ground control station. We uh, collect the image, then we downlink it uh, to any of the uh, ground sites. And I mentioned the Amazon. We also use KSAP for the polls, so we have you know the high latitude, low latitude, and then Amazon's really in the mid latitude. And with those 12 ground stations that are really nicely uh, spread throughout the globe, uh, we direct, directly downlink the data right into the cloud from those Amazon uh, data centers. And it, it can get to the customers very quickly once it's well, in the cloud. I'm personally excited about this rapid delivery platform only because uh, I have real experience ordering imagery from providers that exist right now. And I can tell you from archive imagery standpoint, some of these providers, even just for archive imagery that should already exist and should yeah. be a quick delivery, just selecting what I want, can sometimes still take 24 to 48 hours just to get in my inbox. And that's insane. So Yeah, uh, and you know what uh, frustrates people is they just don't know where they are in the queue. And we let them know every step along the way. We, we let them know when the order is received, you know, where it is in the tasking queue. And they can actually see, just like you uh, do for you know, package deliveries uh, these days, you'll know exactly where you are in terms of getting your data and how long it's going to take to get to you. So we're going to take a lot of that mystery out of uh, ordering satellite data. No, excellent. That'll be a great, great feature to have. And like I said, I look forward to uh, what kind of advantage that brings, not just to, uh, uh, you know, uh, bigger businesses interested in purchasing your satellite data, but even because you're making it easier, I'm kind of interested to see how, uh, 
how uh, useful your platform can be to maybe even, you know, more generic consumers of satellite data who are interested in using it for non-traditional uses, even, uh, uh, you know, uh, well, I say non-traditional, it's becoming more traditional to use it for uh, machine learning practices or even just uh, insurance companies and uh, financial institutions who are trying to get on board with using satellite imagery as well. And uh, in the, it's been a cumbersome in the past. Oh, yeah. We see so many different markets out there from in infrastructure monitoring, because, again, we can detect even the finest changes in movements. Uh, uh, so think of you know, bridges and dams and monitoring that. Uh, energy and natural resources, uh, another big market for us. Uh, pipeline monitoring and you know, uh, think of all the conservation applications. And then in engineering and construction to, to track uh, the development, because again, we're gonna be going over on a frequent basis. We'll be able to um, you know, identify uh, a lot of um, you know, information that's gonna be very helpful for uh, city planners and smart cities in the, in the future. Uh, maritime is a, is a very big one, maritime and trade and uh, how, uh, you know, how the flow is going in, in and out of uh, ports and uh, straits. And you mentioned insurance and finance. Uh, they're clearly uh, a big uh, user. And then the other one that you know, we're surprised with uh, is the agricultural industry is also a, a very big um, user as well. And that they've shown great interest. Awesome. Now, we've talked very positively about uh, your constellation coming up, and I'm not trying to put a negative spin on it here, but what are the challenges of space and the obstacles in the industry that you've encountered just starting up the company? And these aren't unique to you as a company, but everybody who tries to launch uh, new technologies for space or even imagery in general, right? What, 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 uh, what challenges do you say that, hey, space is hard, and these are real things that we're overcoming? Yeah, well, it is a very exciting time in the space industry. There's a lot of commercial uh, uh, private capital flowing in. Uh, the, the government, you hear about Space Force and all the new developments going on in that side. It's just so much activity. Um, right now, they've crossed, uh, I think there's some $24 billion, last I read, uh, invested in, from private uh, capital going into new space startups. I think uh, we've crossed over 500 new space companies uh, across the globe. Now that includes a lot of different uh, elements such as launch and ground processing and in other areas. But uh, uh, is what, what's happening is there's been a confluence of uh, capabilities. The uh, new launch entrants, low cost launchers are available. Uh, the IT technology and then small sats have all converged to make entirely new missions possible that weren't uh, practical just a few years ago. Awesome. Yeah, no, that's, that's thing. We, I appreciate the insight. Uh, so technology is making this much easier uh, going forward and uh, allowing companies like you to stand up what you're doing right now. And uh, yeah. So and then combined with the private capital that has shown a great interest in, uh, you know, investing in space, which uh, is, is also a catalyst. Excellent. Uh, now, before we wrap up here, we have a couple conferences coming up and you plan on attending them, right? Are you going to be at DGI uh, in another week? 
Yeah, well, we'll we'll have a strong representation there. I myself won't be there, but Payam, our uh, CEO and founder, and uh, several of our local representatives from that area will be at DGI. And then, of course, uh, Space Symposium at the end of March, where we hope to uh, uh, raise our glasses and have a toast to a successful uh, Falcon 9 launch, because that's right about the time it will be launching. And Is then that, uh, we, we have to demonstrate, uh, you know, show uh, our collection system and, and show a real live demonstration of ordering and delivery of SAR data from our first system that'll be up and running and uh, checked out by that time. Does the launch time overlap with the, uh, the with Space Symposium at all? So you're going to have a launch party during the symposium? <laughs> well, you know how launch uh, dates go. They, they have a tendency to move around. But, yeah, right now we're uh, targeted for uh, March 29th. And, uh, and I believe that conference goes on uh, from, like, the 30th to April 2nd or 3rd. So Okay, so um, best, best hope is you have something to announce right before the conference. Exactly. Awesome. Uh, and then finally, in April, we're going to see you at the Big Geoin Symposium, which registration is about to open up for that. Exactly. And that's where we uh, hope to uh, demonstrate the capability and and the delivery system and council. And we'll be up and running for business. You know, we'll be uh, selling data at that point, And uh, it should make for a very exciting uh, few months ahead. Excellent. Well, I appreciate your time with us, Dan, and talking about Capella Space, uh, your capabilities, and the upcoming launch in March. Uh, this is uh, it's going to be amazing to watch your company grow and uh, to see how you're going to change the industry as the first uh, SAR provider uh, in the United States. So, Exactly. Well, thank you, Adam, for this opportunity. It was a, a pleasure talking with you. Project Geospatial is a podcast hosted by Adam Simmons and Mason Rothman, dedicated to increasing awareness of geospatial technology, educational resources, and industry best practices. Our show is comprised of industry professionals who discuss diverse topics, such as new geospatial projects, innovations, and resources that benefit the overall community. If you're an industry professional, reach out to us. We'd love to hear your feedback or have you on the show. Listen in and check us out at projectgeospatial.com or anchor.fm.